Rich Roll Podcast. Chai Lifestyle. James, do you use any uh, supplements? What do you, how do you feel yeah, about I do, supplements? Right now I do uh, a protein powder, um, mm-hmm. you know, brown rice or a pea hemp cranberry right. uh, protein. And then still do some creatine right now because I'm just trying to put on a little bit of muscle again. Right. But, uh, other than that, I do uh, an algae-based DHA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Explain to people what what uh, DHA is and why that's important. So that's basically a, a type of omega three, um, which is an essential fatty acid, and you can get essential fatty acids uh, omega three from flaxseed, mm-hmm. but you'll get more of the <clears throat> ALA. And so some bodies don't convert that very well into EPA and DHA. So you can get it from the original source. A lot of people take fish oil or eat fish for their right. uh, for their uh, DHA and EPA, but you're getting all the toxins with it. So fish is one of the you know highest toxin foods that there are. So you know mercury, for example, <clears throat> there's a little bit of mercury in the ocean, and then the algae's got a lot more than that per gram, and then the small fish that eat that, and then the bigger fish that eat that. And so mm-hmm. humans and the American bald eagle are the uh, have the highest mercury content in their bodies. Uh, right. So, uh, so if you take the algae, you're getting the DHA, the omega three without all the negatives of the uh, toxins that I found in the fish. Right. A lot of people are super gung-ho on fish oil and believe in it completely. And uh, this came up when I did Joe Rogan's podcast. He's like, I take fish oil. I know I feel I feel you know better when I take it. What's wrong with it? And I started to talk about um, this issue of, of toxins. And he said, well, I, I get the kind that says toxin-free. And uh, I did a little bit of research because I was like, okay, I'm going to look into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dr. Michael Greger has a great video sure, on I've it where, it, yeah. where uh, he says, even the ones that are labeled toxin-free or have that disclaimer on them, uh, when they studied it, uh, they realized that even those had uh, had uh, some concentration of toxins yeah, in it. Yeah, they're so. making false claims. Some of them had just as much as uh, the ones that didn't claim that. So right. a lot of toxins in there. So you'd, it's basically the same principle overall, um, which is another good reason to eat a plant-based diet, is that the lower on the food chain you go, the less toxins you're going to have. So the same principle applies with uh, the, all these other persistent organic pollutants, mm-hmm. uh, PCBs, furans, dioxins, as well as the mercury in fish. And uh, basically those, those bioaccumulate in the bodies of animals and biomagnify as you go up the food chain. So if you want the least toxins possible, um, in fact, I just wrote an article on toxins uh, that's probably going to come out in Fight Magazine in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of athletic performance, you want to eat as low on the food chain just from toxins alone, uh, the toxins bind to some receptors in the white adipose tissue, mm-hmm. and it signals it actually alters your uh, DNA to to produce more uh, white adipose tissue, and therefore you'll you actually get fatter from these toxins. Interesting. Um, and that's just one thing alone, as well as all the inflammation uh, and uh, other things that go along with it. Wow! Amazing. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, 
fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever heard a more articulate, intelligent UFC MMA fighter than Mr. James Lightning Wilkes in the house? How's it going? Good. Good. Thanks for coming today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, We met uh, a couple years ago. I think that you, I can't remember exactly how it happened. I think you reached out to me because you're just starting to put together this uh, plant-based athlete documentary and and you wanted to come down and and chat and you came over and 
we taped a little bit of, of an interview and that project's been ongoing and I've been tracking it. I'm pretty excited to hear, you know, where you're at with it and what's going on with the documentary. Yeah. I mean, it's taking longer than expected as I expected, yeah. you know, so, uh, as all good things do. Right. So I never sort of set a time on it, but uh, I knew things would take a while. Um, you know, meeting the right people, putting together the proposals and the, uh, the outline and that sort of thing. But yeah, basically we're, we're examining um, the myths of meat, not only you know, the protein content, because I think it's, if people are listening to these types of shows or reading, you know, the plant-based material, they probably know by now that, you know, protein is, is not, uh, we don't need to get it from meat. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty. There's of still a lot protein. of confusion though. I mean, people, even people who read the articles or whatever, I still think that they're, they're, they're kind of maybe willing to take take the leap, but they're still scared or uncertain or fearful about the protein issue because it's so deeply ingrained, you know, ever since we were small children, we've been told we need, you know, X, Y, and Z to build muscle and be healthy. And, you know, to suddenly flip that equation is, it's challenging for people to absorb that message. Sure. But even those that, that do get the message and understand the science, you know, as I've been researching this documentary, we've realized that it's, it's a lot more than that. For men, it's a lot about self-identity, uh, personal identity and social identity. So, you know, eating meat is, is uh, seen as more manly and not eating meat is seen as more feminine. So we've kind of got to change that perception. Right. Um, and it's really silly if you think about it, because... You know, it's not like you're, it's not like you're going out and hunting this animal and putting it on your shoulders and bringing it back to the homestead and throwing it on the hearth. I mean, you're going to the Safeway or the Vaughn's or the Albertsons or the Ralph's and, you know, buying a cellophane packaged, uh, you know, packaged processed ground beef or whatever and putting it on your, you know, back in your backyard barbecue. So how that equates to somebody being more masculine is, is a little bit confusing, but you know, that's, that's the way it is. Right. right? I think it's just, you know, it's roots in hunting and that type of thing. But, um, the reality is it's actually detrimental for masculinity, uh, sexual drive, um, also erectile dysfunction, you know, you're damaging, uh, the arteries, uh, atherosclerosis is created by animal fat and also animal protein. And so the arteries that supply your heart, you know, those arteries also uh, supply your penis. So mm-hmm. if you, uh, you know, if you want to perform well, you don't want to be eating the animal protein. Yeah, absolutely. If you're having trouble getting it up, I mean, it's one of the early signs of, of heart disease. Right. And the solution is not to go to your doctor and ask for a Viagra prescription. The right. solution is to change your diet and your lifestyle habits because Viagra is just masking something that is going to continue to get worse unless you address the underlying cause. And that gets to the heart of our healthcare system. It gets to the heart of how we treat disease in this country and, and the lack of focus on preventative medicine and the way that we handle sick people and just people in general who want to get healthier. Right. And the only way to reverse atherosclerosis that's been shown in the study has been a plant-based diet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, taking all these drugs is just masking the symptoms basically. Right. And, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, it's one thing for an ultra runner or a triathlete or, you know, a marathon or somebody like that to start espousing the virtues of a plant-based diet. You know, they're kind of uh, very unthreatening athletes. Uh, And, and what's so you know, amazing and interesting and, and unique about you and why I'm so excited. To, and one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you here today is that you come from a different, a very different world of sport, you know, the, the world of UFC and MMA. And, and, you know, this, this is the world of 
the super masculine, the warriors, where speed, power, agility, and balance, and all of these things are, are critical to success. Uh, it's it's almost you know yes you know what I do and what you do they're both sports but incredibly different with different you know different focus um, and for somebody to come from that world and start talking you know about a plant based diet and espousing the benefits of it is. It's pretty compelling. So let's. I wanted to get into you know how this whole journey began for you. Well, for me, uh, I'd actually got injured uh, training for a fight. I was supposed to fight Amir Sadala, who was a winner of another season of The Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. And, and just to interject for people who don't know, uh, you know, James is a very accomplished uh, MMA UFC fighter. He was the champion in season nine of The Ultimate Fighter. If you're a fan of the sport, you probably saw him. So, uh, you know, he's done quite well in the sport and, and is a name. He's now retired and we can get into that a little bit, but, um, he knows from whence he, from whence he talks, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So basically I, you know, I was training for a fight, um, sparring with Fabricio Vadum, which was probably a big mistake since he's you know, hundred pounds heavier than me. <laughs> um, but I tore my knee, uh, pretty bad. And, and usually I was training twice a day and, doing all the things that go along with it, chiropractic or massage or physical therapy because you're always getting injured. You know, so that was taking up a lot of my time. When I tore my knee, obviously I wasn't training uh, and I was recovering. So I wanted to spend that time productively. Mm-hmm. And as an athlete, I've always paid some attention to my diet, but I'd really got my information from blogs and, you know, fitness magazines and things like that. I hadn't really spent the time researching nutrition. So I thought that would be a good thing to do and, you know, started looking into it. And first of all, and I realized there was problems with the conventional beef, so I switched to grass-fed beef, mm-hmm. uh, primarily because of the omega-3, omega-6 ratio, but also because of the hormones and, and that sort of thing that they add uh, to the meat. And then I found problem, problems with the poultry, which was that uh, in the United States has been banned to be exported to the European Union for the last 13 years because it's dipped in pure chlorine, mm-hmm. which is a known carcinogen uh, when you use pure chlorine. Um, and then, so I just started looking further and further and the further I, I looked into it, I realized I'd been duped and that, you know, we're, we're sold all this advertising and marketing and then, you know, what your parents teach you, you got to, you know, eat meat to be strong. And, and I started realizing all the problems. And, um, so I started, you know, what is the best food to eat? And, and from there it just went further and further and it just became more plant-based until I realized, you know, going hundred percent plant-based is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And so how long have you been on this journey now? It's been, a it's been almost, uh, almost two years. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I switched, surprisingly, I lifted more weight than I'd ever lifted, mm-hmm. um, within two weeks of switching and my endurance got better. So, so yeah. And how did you, so you just felt it just based on your performance in the weight room and what you were used to, suddenly you had this, this, breakthrough yeah i mean I, i've never been very strong at bench press i was doing a dumbbell press so i had uh 105 105 pounds in each in each hand which is not massive but it's i mean it's okay for someone that fights 170 i guess and uh, that's the most i've ever been able to get to you know with extensive training mm-hmm. switch my diet <clears throat> two weeks later i was able to do 115 in each hand so wow. that was a pretty rapid increase within two weeks um, and never seen anything like that from any other supplements or changing my diet in any other way, which I've tried in the past. And then uh, endurance-wise, we did the battling ropes. You've got the 50-foot rope that you're swinging up and down. And uh, you know, I struggled with five minutes, 10 minutes before was tough. Uh, and at the gym that I trained at in Costa Mesa, uh, Innovative Results, if you get 10 minutes, you get your name on the wall. Mm-hmm. And if you get 20 minutes, you can put that in parentheses. And that's the most anybody had done. Um, and then a couple of months after I changed my diet, tried it again. And I hit uh, over an hour. So wow, 
you know, that's obviously just anecdotal and, you know, it's possible there could be other things. Maybe I was sleeping an extra half an hour a night. Or who, who knows right. what other things I hadn't taken into account for. But if you combine the uh, scientific evidence out there in the, in the current literature and then the anecdotal experience of, you know, myself, but all the other athletes as well that I've been speaking to, um, it's fairly clear to me that a plant-based diet is not only better for health, but also for performance. Mm -hmm. And then this led you to the idea of making this documentary and kind of sitting down with all these different athletes and from all different disciplines and, and hearing more about what they had to say. And so tell me about that. <clears throat> right. So I just woke up at two in the morning, you know, one night I was uh, wide awake and I thought, why is it that I've believed this all this time that I had to have meat for protein, milk for calcium, fish for omega-3, beef for iron? You know, why have I thought this? Because I'd remember you know, a couple of years before walking into a, a restaurant. It turns out it's a, it's a vegan restaurant. And I looked on the menu and I said, where's the meat? They oh, we don't have any meat. And I remember just walking out mm -hmm. because I thought, well, I'm an athlete. You know, I can't have one meal without meat in it or uh -huh. some animal product. Um, so I thought, this is crazy. Then I jumped out of bed. I couldn't go to sleep, went on the internet, started searching. Well, there must be some plant-based athletes, you know, that have done well. So I just started Googling and, you know, starting seeing, oh, wait a minute, Carl Lewis, you know, his mm -hmm. best uh, he's considered the Olympian of the century um, by the International Olympic Committee. Um, and, you know, he was saying that his best performances were on uh, a vegan diet. Right. You know, so then I started looking more and more. And wow, I couldn't believe all the, the athletes that are out there. You know, some of them aren't talking about it too much, but there's a lot of right. athletes out there that, that say they've performed their best on a plant-based diet. And that's what, that's what started my journey. Um in this documentary and that I wanted to get the word out there to other people. Cause you know, in 2011, I spent over a thousand hours just looking at peer reviewed uh, medical science on nutrition. Mm -hmm. and, and was that part of the eCornell plant-based nutrition course? Uh, you took, was or was that on your took, own? No, I took that as well. Yeah. Right. I'm, no, on my own. Yeah. I, I took the, I was kind of in the middle of it. I did the, they have a plant-based nutrition course, which is good. But no, aside from that, I was also looking at just looking at all the, the data that I could. Right. Um, and, you know, I just decided I want to get the word out there. So uh, I started, you know, interviewing athletes and doctors and uh, scientists. And, and that's uh, kind of where we're at now. Is right. And I think the, the last time I ran into you was at the VegSource Healthy uh, Lifestyle Expo. And that's right. You were sitting down with a few people there and we chatted for a minute, um, but it sounded like you've really hit, you know, you've hit all the all the stars in the field, all the doctors and you know, a bunch of the athletes. And so we're kind of, where are you with the project right now? Like, um, we're putting it together. We're still working with some, uh, people that, you know, not, not that are not top athletes. We're trying to look at, follow some people that, uh, just regular everyday guys that have got certain goals, whether it's lose weight, whether it's get much stronger. We're kind of, you know, following those people. And obviously that takes a little time just to, you know, see how they're doing with it. And because otherwise people could say, well, they're an elite athlete anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got good genes or whatever. So we want to just take some regular guys. and Right. Uh, you yeah. Know, How can you say that it's because of the plant-based diet you would have done? You know, what right. if you had eaten paleo? Maybe you would have been better or maybe, you know what I mean? It's, it's impossible to scientifically quantify all right. of that. And that's another thing we're looking at with the <clears throat> documentary is the the whole paleo craze that's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, and I want to talk about that because this is something that uh, – you know, I get asked about every day. I'm sure you do too. Uh, you know, right now the paleo movement, they have the microphone, 
you know, in a big way. And it's, it's kind of the latest, you know, I don't want to say diet craze. It's a little bit unfair and there's a lot of good things about it. You know, it's spawned this CrossFit movement, which I think is fantastic. And certainly eating paleo is much better than the standard American diet. You know, they, they issue dairy, they issue processed foods. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to like about it. It's very, very popular. It's captured the attention of, you know, a lot of athletes as well. Um, And when I'm asked about it, I mean, that's essentially the answer I always give. And I have my reasons why I believe in a plant-based diet. Um, But at the same time, I have this nagging thing, which is, you know, I just have a hard time with somebody who is, who has the microphone saying, you know, knock yourself out with bacon and eggs for breakfast. And maybe I'm being unfair to the paleo people and I'll get some comments about that or whatever. Uh, But, uh, you know, when 600,000 people, 600,000 Americans are suffering heart attacks every year, I find it a little bit irresponsible to be pushing this sort of higher fat, you know, high protein, ketosis-based, uh, low-carb scenario. I mean, right. w- you know, where are you coming down on this? <clears throat> well, I mean, for me, I think people like eating meat. And again, like I said, especially for men, it's part of their identity. And so they like to find excuses to eat that way. Now, obviously, you know, people have benefited from going paleo, but I think it's more what they're excluding from their diet, the processed foods and the dairy and so forth, than what they're including. Mm-hmm. And in the short term, they might be doing okay with it. But the scientific literature is, is quite clear. Uh, if you look at the preponderance of evidence that um, the saturated fat, the cholesterol, uh, as well as other things that are, are cooked during the processes. Uh, of, of cooking meat, such as the heterocyclic amines, uh, which are cancer-causing, uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, uh, all these things that, are, when you're cooking meat, are, are produced, uh, causing inflammation and causing atherosclerosis. So mm-hmm. uh, the scientific evidence is quite clear. Although they're getting and then a p- the paleo people will say this saturated fat argument is is untrue and has been debunked. Right. So there's like a few small studies that were not very well controlled that might have shown. Um, you know, some sort of benefit. But you've got to look, when you look at science, you've got to look at the overall um, picture and you've got to look at 1,500 studies staying otherwise. Um, so <clears throat> the paleo people tend to take studies of uh, processed refined carbohydrates, raising triglycerides and causing some sort of atherosclerosis. And they'll attribute that to all carbohydrates in general, mm-hmm. maybe with the exception of a few vegetables. Um, but it's wrong to do that. You can't take uh, you know, refined white sugar and refined white carbs and say that that applies for everything else, such as whole grains or, you know, yams or rice or whatever it is. Right. So I think that's what they're doing is, you know, they're happy eating that way. It tastes good, you know, so. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's appealing because it, like you said, it appeals to that, that, uh, you know, drive for masculinity, the, the caveman, you know, analogy or what have you, you know, eating meat, eating organ meats and all of that is sort of, you know, very, you know, rah, rah masculine. Uh, and it's also having your cake and eat it too. Like you get to have your, you know, bacon for breakfast and, right. and all of that. And, you know, you will lose weight because you are causing your body to undergo ketosis, but, and so it's effective in that regard as a weight loss technique, but not as a sustainable long-term healthy solution. I mean, ketosis is a dangerous thing to, uh, you know, cause your, it's a dangerous state for your body to be in and sure. protracted in the long term. I mean, it's related to 
kidney problems and kidney stones and a, a whole variety of issues. And in addition, it's, it's certainly not optimal for athletic performance. I mean, our bodies run on glucose um, and we perform much better with you know a good amount of carbohydrates as well. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, um, I certainly wouldn't recommend it for athletes. Right. Although, you know, there are plenty of athletes out there doing it. Uh, my buddy, Vinny Tortorich, who's a trainer and he was on the podcast uh, two weeks ago, something like that. And he's actually going to be coming back on Friday and he's all about low carb and all of that. So, you know, I want to get into it a little bit more with him, but yeah, you mean, must get out. You must, I mean, with the athletes that you're, you know, the MMA fighters and they must be asking you about this all the time. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, you know, and like you said, there are people out there that do it, but I think they're doing well in spite of what they're doing, not because of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's good evidence that it, uh, it's great for athletes. You can certainly get lean, but I don't think, um, I've seen huge performance increases and these guys tend to be on you know loads of caffeine for their mm-hmm. energy, uh, rather than having that natural sort of energy that you get from plant-based foods. As right. Well. And at the same time, uh, the plant-based movement, does have a pretty strong foothold in in uh, the MMA world. I mean, there are lots of guys that are kind of jumping on board with this. The the Diaz brothers, you got Mac Danzig, you know Jake Shields, Aaron and Simpson, Aaron Simpson, exactly. Which is pretty yeah. mostly plant based, yeah. Which is interesting, you know, of all the sports, you know, aside from endurance sports because that's kind of its own little world, but in the more kind of traditional mainstream sports, to see uh, to see these guys uh, realizing the benefits of doing it, you know, and understanding and and embracing uh this idea that a more alkaline based plant-based diet is allowing them to recover more quickly and they're still strong they're still fast they're still powerful and and all of that is is fascinating definitely and then you know the thing the guys that i like to see are guys like uh, patrick baboumian from germany uh he was germany's strongest man he's got three world records one in the front hold one in the beer keg lift and one in the log lift the beer and, uh, keg left. <laughs> yeah, who even knew that was a, I know. a world record, right? But, um, you know, these are super strong guys uh, like that, you know, uh, working on a vegan plant-based diet. Uh, it just shows you can build muscle on it uh, too, you know, and be super strong as well. Right. What do you think some of the other big misconceptions or, or myths about nutrition, you know, that you have come to understand better as a result of reading all this peer-reviewed research and and doing the eCornell program. And just for the listener, the, uh, if you are interested in learning more about plant-based nutrition and really rolling up your sleeves and understanding it at its core, uh, Cornell University offers an online program. It's part of the eCornell uh, uh, sort of after, I guess, what do you call it? Like adult education or whatever, but you can get a certificate in plant-based nutrition through this program that was started by T. Colin Gamble, who wrote the China study. Um, and, uh, James did it. Did you, I've considered doing it. I haven't done it. I, I really should, I really should do it. Yeah. It's only about six weeks long, but it's, it's pretty informative, covers mm-hmm. quite a wide range of stuff, but it's also a good, uh, you know, just take some regular nutrition classes if people are interested. Like right now, um, there's a organization called Coursera.org and it teams up with a bunch of, you know, Harvard and MIT and stuff and offers free courses. And, the, and there's one actually right on right now, uh, by university of Florida fundamentals in human nutrition. Mm-hmm. So it's not focusing on plant-based, but it just really, you know, it gets people to understand nutrition, not what they've seen in magazines and read on blogs. And that's a totally free course that you can go and take. Right. But a lot of the nutrition courses that are available there are still, you know, very influenced by, yeah, they are. the dairy and meat industries who kind of uh, you know pay for a lot of these studies that find their way into these curriculums. Definitely. So you've got to take that into you know you've got to take everything with a grain of salt, but you can still understand some of the core principles of nutrition. 
uh, as long as you keep in the back of your mind, you know, who are funding these things. For example, um, the American Dietetic Association, which has now become the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, uh, one of its number one sponsors uh, is the Dairy Council. You know, and talking mm-hmm. to Juliana Hever, she said when she was going through school, it would say you should have three servings of dairy a day. And at the bottom of the handout in university, it says the Dairy Council on it. Right, so. exactly. She was on the podcast uh, just last week and oh, she was yeah. talking about that. Yeah, it's amazing, right? So you've got to take that into account from, you know, everything you're learning. But, um, you know, it's good just to, learn, to, to inform yourself about the, you know, you can look out uh, on the internet. You've got to be careful of your sources. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, it's good just to go and learn the basics of uh, nutrition. And so getting back to my question, though, what some of the other big misconceptions or, or, you know, misconstrued facts about nutrition, I guess, particularly for athletes, there's a lot of athletes that listen to this, endurance athletes, runners, you know, people who are trying to, who are grappling with this because we're getting inundated with mixed messages, you know, everywhere you turn, it's confusing. It causes a lot of vertigo and people just want, you know, they, they just want to be told the straight truth. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, one of the things is protein, but not just, like, whether it's animal protein or plant protein, but also the amount of protein. I think that's a big thing that there's a big misconception. And some people are taking sort of three gam, three grams per pound of body weight per day because, they, you know, these are guys that want to get big and mm-hmm. build their physique and muscle. Um, so the amount of protein is, is definitely a factor. Uh, people think that, you know, your body goes catabolic and you, your uh, muscles start breaking down, um, and so therefore you need to add more protein. But what people don't realize is that, this does happen, and so you do need to get sufficient amounts of protein. Um, but after glycolysis, which is when your body is taking from glycogen stores and using that glucose throughout your body, uh, a process called gluconeogenesis occurs. And basically what that is is that your body breaks down muscle tissue because it needs the amino acids to form uh, glucose. Mm-hmm. So it's not that your body is breaking it down because it needs more protein. It actually needs more glucose to fuel the body and the brain. The brain takes up a lot of glucose as well. So when your when your muscle tissue is breaking down, uh, one of the primary reasons is that you haven't got enough glucose in your body. And where does that come from? It comes best from carbohydrates. And where do carbs come from? From plants. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one of the big misconceptions. People think, well, I'm, my muscle tissue is breaking down, so I need to add more protein. But it's really the uh, the glucose that we need to <clears throat> prevent that catabolic state and to prevent those amino acids breaking down to form the glucose. Interesting. So in, in other words, I guess that would be, that could be considered an argument against the low carb diet approach. Definitely. I mean, we, we run better off glucose. There are other, other ways of uh, operating, um, but a, the most direct source to get carbohydrates, uh, uh, to, sorry, to get, to get glucose is from the carbohydrates mm-hmm. rather than storing it as fat and then breaking the fat down. Right. or having it in, in the muscle and then the muscle breaking down the amino acids to form glucose molecules, you know, so. Right. And what about, uh, what about minerals like calcium, iron? Yeah, calcium, you know, obviously the dairy, people think you need dairy, but uh, you actually absorb it better from green leafy vegetables. Um, you have to be careful with certain, like spinach, for example, has oxalates in it, which inhibit the absorption. And if you drink tea, for example, or coffee with, uh, when you're having greens, uh, within 30 minutes, you'll inhibit some absorption. Right, the tannins in the in the coffee Correct. and the tea, whether Correct. it's caffeinated or not, uh, interfere with your body's ability to absorb the iron in the Correct. food. Correct. So you know, there's problems with there are there are issues within absorbing some of the calcium or the iron in, in plant foods, as there are with um, absorbing it from animal foods. But um, you actually absorb calcium uh, at about 50 percent from plant foods rather than about 30% from dairy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so you get, and you've got to remember that food's a package deal. So it's not just where do I get my calcium from? It's what other nutrients um, am I getting from, from that package? And in the case of green leafy vegetables, you're getting all the phytonutrients and the fiber and so forth. Whereas with the dairy, um, you're getting the saturated fat and the cholesterol. Right. So it's, it's a package deal. So the best place to get it, you know, and seeds are a good place for calcium, for example, sesame seeds. Um, but green leafy vegetables are, are my primary source of, mm-hmm. of calcium. And what about this argument that uh, because there are two different kinds of iron, there's heme and non-heme, and uh, you know the heme iron, which is sort of considered superior, is only available in animal products, and non-heme is the variety that you get from plant-based foods. Uh, that sort of creates a platform for certain people to say, well, it's an inferior form of iron, and if you really want to make sure that you're not iron deficient, you really need to eat meat and dairy. Yeah, that's, that's not really true either. So basically, the, the body has a better regulatory system for non-heme iron. So I don't know if you've watched any of Dr. Gregor's videos. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, but basically, um, you know, if you take heme iron, you could, uh, your body doesn't regulate it very well. So you may be absorbing more and storing more, but you can actually have too much. And especially for men, um, you know, it's not a good idea to be getting too much of that heme iron. Your body uh, does just fine with the non-heme iron. And again, your body regulates that much better. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. And vitamin B12? B12, so that's the big one. Yeah, so B12 is not uh, formed by animals, but rather by bacteria. Um, and we actually form it in our own gut, but it's typically not very well absorbed. So that is one supplement that I do, uh, sublingual, once a week, 2,500 uh, micrograms. Right. And... Um, you know, actually, especially I gotta get you. I have a vitamin B twelve supplement. I gotta get you some. Oh, okay. Technically, we're still out. in. Technically, we're still in the ad for Jai Lifestyle. We haven't even gotten to the podcast yet. Right, <laughs> we're still wrapping that up. I'll have to check that yeah. out. So, what is no, what type of B twelve is it? Uh, methocobalamin. Right. Yeah, okay. which is the better, uh, more bioavailable version. Most of the. Uh, for people out there, most of the forms of vitamin B12, I mean, if you're on a plant-based diet or not, a lot of foods out there are vitamin B12 fortified, like breakfast cereals and plant-based milks and the like. But it's it's the cheaper form of B12, which is the cyanocobalamin, which requires a physiological process to break down and make it available and make it uh, possible for it to pass the blood, brain, 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 brain barrier. Uh, and usable by your body. So if you're looking for a, a vitamin B12 supplement and you don't want to buy mine, make sure it's uh, methylcobalamin. That's the version you want. Right. right? I'm interested in checking it out for sure. Yeah, I'll get you some. So you know, Some of the, the the B12 supplements have the artificial sweeteners in, so it probably depends on the sweeteners and things like that, right, when people are looking at them. Right. And, uh, and they come in different forms. I mean, you could take it in a capsule. Mine's a spray, uh, which also aids in the absorption ability of it, right. bioavailability. So whatever. The more important thing is, is, that, uh, is, is understanding that that's important. If you're on a plant-based diet, um, you do want to make sure that you're getting it. And if you don't want to take a supplement, then you know, nutritional yeast is actually a very good source of vitamin B12. A lot of People, you know, sprinkle that on their salads or, you know, use it. It adds kind of a cheesy flavor to your foods. And people that aren't on a plant-based diet and eat a standard American diet, actually, uh, there is a a proliferation of of, uh, vitamin B12 deficiency in just the normal person as well. So you might want to Especially as you get older, uh, especially in those over 50, for example, um, you start losing intrinsic factor, which uh, helps your body absorb B12. And so in studies... um, 
plant-based eaters are shown, especially over 50, to have better B12 levels mm-hmm. because they are supplementing, whereas the meat eaters are not. Right. Um, so as you get older, it's, it's even more important, but it, it is critical for people on a plant-based diet to have a B12 supplement for sure. Right. And Definitely from dried lifestyle. <laughs> That's right. There you go, man. You can come back to the podcast anytime with that. Um, so the this I, I'm not sure if it's the paleo movement, but there is a sort of anti plant based nutrition. Uh, you know, I don't know if you would call it cabal or or a group of people that are saying this is not a healthy way to go. If you undertake a plant based diet, you're going to be nutrient deficient. And by the way that China study book you read, it's been debunked. And there's all these websites out there that try to undermine uh, what the China study was trying to say, which in, which in other words, if you haven't read it, establishes a link based upon um, a, a ginormous study that went on for years and years and years that uh, identified a link between animal proteins and a variety of congenital diseases, most particularly cancer. Sure. And, you know, a lot of the uh, criticisms of the China study is, oh, it's a correlation, it's not causation. Correlation doesn't prove causation, which is true. Um, but the the results from the China study weren't just a correlation. They weren't even just a statistically significant correlation. They were a highly statistically significant correlation that were backed up by animal studies. Um, and the study was undertaken by Dr. T. Colin Campbell, who has uh, written many peer-reviewed um, scientific studies. So it's not just like some random guy went out and found some correlation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for example, one of the typical ones people talk about is um, as the number of pirates has uh, gone down, there's an inverse correlation between uh, global warming. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, the lack of pirates has caused global warming. Yes. Obviously, that's... Uh, that would be a loose correlation. There'd be a very loose correlation. Obviously, correlation doesn't equal causation, but there's actual biological plausibility from studies. So when you do animal studies, you can get biological plausibility. Combine that with not just uh, statistically significant correlations, but highly statistically significant correlations. And for those that don't really understand that, they'd have to look and understand statistics a little bit. But um, the argument is as convincing, if not more so, than uh, the fact that smoking, you know, is uh, indicated in lung cancer. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to, you know, throw out some criticisms without really understanding the science. Right. So you're, you're basically saying you're, you're backing it. Yeah. I mean, what do you have to say? Well, okay. So what I would say is that nothing can be proven absolutely other than mathematical formulas in life. So we don't know anything for sure. We could be living in the matrix. Right. And so we have to, you know, the studies that we do. If Julie was here, she would say that we are absolutely living in the matrix. (laughs) Right. So, you know, maybe we are. So we don't know anything for sure other than that Mathematical formulas, for example, if we take one and its value is one and we add that to another one, then we know for sure that A equals two. Um, but other, outside of mathematical formulas, mathematical proofs, we don't really know everything for sure. But I would say that the China study is very, very convincing, mm-hmm. as is smoking and uh, being in, indicated in lung cancer. You know? So right. you know, I would certainly be behind the, the China study for sure. And how do you feel about these different kind of camps that are cropping up within the plant-based nutrition movement? I mean, you have the, uh, you know, sort of the forks over knives, knives, engine two 
um, contingent who are uh, very low fat, no oils, no you know, no nuts or barely any nuts, no avocados. Then you have like the fruitarians who are the thirty bananas a day people who are, you know, eating fruit all day long. Um, and then you know, kind of more middle ground people, which I guess I would consider myself a member of. You know, I eat avocados, I have nuts, I try to eat them sparingly, but you know, I'm also training a lot more than the average person is. So I'm interested to hear kind of your perspective on, on where you would fall in that spectrum. Yeah. So I think, you know, in terms of like, for example, heart disease, if you looked at, um, Dr. Esselstyn's work, um, you know, it's only been a low fat diet that is shown to reverse heart disease, but that doesn't right. mean that having a little bit more fat wouldn't have also done the same thing. Um, and in some studies in quite a few studies, nuts have been shown to have a positive benefit on heart health mm-hmm. and arterial health as well. Um, so I'm a little bit, you know, higher fat than, um, the 10% sort of low fat, low protein guys. Um, and I do think that athletes probably need a little bit more, obviously as they have more calories, they do have more fat and more protein. Um, I'm not a big fan of the oils. I don't think that, you know, I still have a little bit. I'm I'm not saying I don't have any at all, but I don't think this idea that like coconut oil is a panacea and it's going to solve all your problems. I used to think that before I did much research. Uh, and same, I used to think olive oil, you know, I pour it all over myself. Right. Um, basically, I don't think extracting anything from any one food is generally going to be that healthy. So if you're extracting sugar or extracting fat from its natural environment, I don't think that's going to be that great for you. So right. but I, I know guys that are doing well. Uh, a buddy of mine, Ryan Vance, you know, super ripped, six foot, 200 pounds, eats 30 bananas a day, sometimes 50 bananas a day. Right. Uh, and is, is doing great. He's having some salad and maybe a few seeds, but no nuts, no avocados. And- yeah, there are people that are doing great. I mean, there's there's a guy called Durian Ryder, you know, <laughs> Harley, who's a very outspoken guy on the internet. He may, you know, he throws up YouTube videos almost every day, and uh, and and loves to roll up his sleeves and get controversial and right. all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's very passionate about his diet, which is essentially a you know fruit based diet. I mean, he's. You know, I think he eats other things, but you know, he's he's eating a lot of fruit, right? And he has a website called Thirty Bananas a Day, and he just won this uh, challenge on Strava. Strava is the website where you can track your cycling and running, and they they put up these sort of contests every once in a while. And mm. one of the contests they put up last month was called the Base Mile Challenge, and it was who could ride the most miles in the month of January and of everybody who participated in this, of, of which I think there were thousands, um, you know, he rode some ungodly number of, of miles on his bike and, and he's very competitive in five K's and 10 K's and he's fast and he loves to talk and, and, uh, espouse his point of view and it works for him, you know, and there are other people too. There was a guy who did Epic five, uh, which if you read my book, um, you're familiar with, it was the event that, that uh, Jason Lester established that I participated in in 2010, where we did an Ironman a day on five separate Hawaiian islands, each of the Hawaiian islands. We ended up doing it in a week and he uh, has turned it into a little bit of an event and every year takes five or six people uh, on this journey. And this past year he did it. And there was one guy who, a young guy, I think he's in his early twenties who did it. And he, he's South American from Chile or whatever. And essentially did the whole thing on like bananas and coconut water, like five Ironmans in five days. Yeah. I mean, bottom line is glucose is what you need, especially for long, uh, long distance events. But, but actually, well, it's a little trickier than that because when you're going long and we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, 
you're trying to enhance your body's ability to burn fat as a fuel, which is sure. a much more efficient fuel source uh, and sort of getting off the glucose teat, so to speak. I mean, your brain needs glucose. You got to be feeding right. it sugar or whatever, but it's about um, developing that aerobic engine through sure. aerobic training so that you are a very efficient fat burning machine as opposed to re- requiring or relying on glucose for going long. Right. No, I'm sure there's, there's definitely both, but I think it would be tough to manage it with um, with that alone, would you say? Yeah. Without yeah, any yeah. carbohydrates? Or, oh, no, no. And I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a low carb, you know, no right. carb guy at all. You right. Know? I mean, when I'm, when I go out for my long rides, it's sweet potatoes and bananas and, you right. know, things like that. So. No, obviously I think you've got your body, you, I mean, you know more than I do about training your body to burn fat, but I, I imagine there's some sort of balance between burning the carbohydrates that you're taking in and obviously the fat as well. Right. Would that be true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a spectrum. You know what I mean? Like you want to enhance your body's ability for this particular discipline. You're trying to enhance your body's ability to burn fat as fuel, but it's not that you're burning zero glucose. You're just burning less. And as you up your intensity, then you start burning more and more, you know, you start relying more and more on glucose on sugars to, for your energy system. So anyway. So what else, man? What are the other big misconceptions that we can help uh, set people straight on here that you've learned through reading all this peer-reviewed research and all the work that you've done and the experience that you've had meeting with all these athletes and doctors in the in the making of your documentary? Yeah, I don't even I don't even know why there's such uh, controversy. Really, controversy. How do you guys say it in America? Uh, say it the Bri- say it the British way. I can't see. I've been here controversy. so long. Controversy. I don't even. I've been here so it long. It sounds more intelligent. Is, yeah, well, I don't know which is the British <laughs> and which is the American anymore. Uh, windshield or windscreen? Well, country. first of all, let's back up here a second. How does a how does a, a a fine young gentleman from the United Kingdom who's who you know is well educated become a UFC fighter? Good question. Um, how does that work? Yeah. How do you know? How did your parents feel about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if they liked all the injuries particularly, but my uh, my grandfather faked his birth certificate in World War Two and uh, was fourteen when he was dropped behind enemy lines. Wow! Um, and then he came out once the war was over and used to fight a lot in the, um, you know, in the bars and the well, the pubs in England afterwards. Uh-huh. So he was kind of a fighting type of guy anyway. And my dad, you know, it's kind of the same way. So, you know, maybe it was in the blood or something, I'm not sure. But, you know, I got into martial arts at an early age. My uncle was a uh, karate champion in England. Got the, in 1986, got the fastest knockdown, 4.6 seconds. The spinning heel kick to someone's temple. Wow. Um, so it was kind of in the blood a little bit, I think, the fighting, you know. Uh-huh. And, um, You're coming from a long line of street brawlers. Yeah, which is strange, you know, because, you know, I come from a good family and... Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to private school and boarding school and things like that. So right, you're not like a, you're not like a soccer hooligan or anything no, like that. No, so um, I was really fortunate. I had a, a great upbringing, and you know, all of my peers at school probably would not um, expect that anyone from from the schools that I went to would uh, end mm-hmm. up doing cage fighting. Did you go to like a Eton type boarding school, or yeah, basically, right, something like that. Yeah, I played Eton a, a game of fives, which is basically a game of racquetball that's played with your hands uh-huh. but uh yeah so that type of school How very proper of you yeah no. <laughs> look at me now uh-huh. so um i don't know you know i went to university did lots of martial arts ended up doing more martial arts than i was spending on my course that i was doing and then came out um to train with uh paul vunak who was a navy seal and a combat instructor mm-hmm. who taught jeet kundo that's bruce lee style 
and uh, just went from there. I planned to come out for six months, you know, to train, and I just loved it so much, and came back again for another six months, and another six months. But was the idea, I mean, was the end game that you were going to get into this world of of the UFC, or you were just interested in martial arts and came here to get better? I've always been and still am mostly interested in, you know, reality fighting for the street and self-defense and that sort of thing. Um, but the more you train, be, I guess if you rode a lot one day, you know, on your bike, maybe one day you think, Hey, maybe I'll enter a race. You know, it's that type of mentality. Right. So with the fighting, um, I was just training to fight, training to fight, but there was no fights, you know, and I'm not going to go out and look for, uh, fights on the street. That'd be unethical. So MMA was the closest thing to reality. So although it's got rules and no eye gouging, no biting, no jamming, mm-hmm. no kicking the groin. Uh, you know, it's one-on-one and, and that sort of thing. Um, it was the closest thing. It's to, a regulated just, street fight. Yeah, basically. It's the closest thing you can get, you know, basically. And so I just wanted to test myself. So this is some, This is like in your genes. There's some drive from your grandfather to yeah, your father to you. You have this this desire where you just, you need to go out and beat the crap out of somebody. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and my journey in martial arts really is I was always seeking the truth, you know, which is turned out when I, once I came across Jeet Kune Do and Bruce Lee's philosophy is that's what he was doing is seeking the truth in combat, what works and what doesn't. There's a lot of people out there, you know, telling you to block a certain way and put your hand on the hip or do certain techniques. And basically they're teaching you how to swim, but they've never been in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, the arts that are, are in mixed martial arts, boxing, kickboxing, tie boxing, judo, jujitsu, wrestling, these are all arts that have developed efficiently because they've been full contact, you know, albeit within their rules. Right. And so they, those arts actually work. You know, and that's why most people in mixed martial arts train in very similar arts. Um, they don't do like San Shao, or maybe, uh, sorry, not San Shao, let's pick uh, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, or mm-hmm. you know, I used to do Taekwondo. But most people don't study that extensively for MMA because they're not very efficient. And uh, it's funny because when I came across the nutrition stuff and I started researching that, I realized I hadn't spent the same time researching nutrition and given it the same thought as I had with martial arts. So now my journey really has been um, putting the same emphasis in searching for truth uh, as I had in combat and now doing that uh, right. in nutrition. Interesting. And I, I like the idea of, you know, of, sp- of sport being characterized as a search for truth. And I think it's beautiful that martial arts are called arts, you know, because well executed, it really is an art form. It's right. a, it's a beautiful expression of the human body uh, at its most, you know, efficient and lethal and, and all of these things. And when it, when it comes together by somebody who is expert at it, right. it's an amazing thing to watch. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast too, that I think that when you are, when you are, sort of tapped into your higher self and, and, and living authentically and, and, and true to your kind of, you know, higher purpose for lack of a better term, um, that anything that you do that is an expression of that really is an art form. You know, right. it is your art it is your personal art. And, and, you know, part of, I feel strongly that, you know, part of all of our jobs here on earth is to kind of find that thing inside of you and express that more fully. And then that becomes your art, you know, and in your case, right. it's, the martial art. And now it's the art of expressing, uh, this message of health or, or what have you. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I was like, I never really thought about that. I was like, martial arts are arts. It it is an art form. And why isn't, you know, why is it not called the art of cycling or the art of running or the art of swimming? And these are all disciplines that, you know, require a certain level of skill and people spend their lifetimes trying to perfect like a golf swing or, or whatnot. And they are art forms, you know, and they should be 
understood as such, I think. Yep, definitely. I think so. So, so you, uh, you come here and you start to get interested in this and, and so where does it kind of turn into a a profession? Well, yeah, I was fight. I was having professional fights, but I never considered myself a professional fighter. One, um, I wasn't taking it too seriously and two, being a professional fighter at the low level really can't be considered a professional because it really doesn't pay anything. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what are you getting when you when you first start out and you go, okay, I'm going to go do one of these fights. I mean, what, what does that look yeah. like? Are you going to some high school gym or what? No, and I mean, getting, I they to, pay fifty bucks or what, yeah, uh, they pay you like three hundred bucks. I mean, I've seen bucks, it in the yeah. movies, but what is it like in real life? Yeah, I mean, now there's like an amateur league that you can fight in as well, so people kind of work their way up through that. Um, but yeah, basically your first professional fight. A lot of times for me, it was they were on casinos, uh, in casinos because on Indian reservations, uh-huh. because at the time it wasn't legal in California. So obviously, um, Indian casinos were on their own land technically. Right. So I was fighting California, but on Indian reservations and they still have fights on reservations, but obviously now it's, it's legal in most States, not, mm-hmm. not all States, but, uh, so uh, you, you basically go, you know, you get paid basically nothing <laughs> or they'll try and pay you a percentage of ticket sales, you know? Uh-huh. So you'll sell, you know. A, I mean, how many people are showing up for these these fights at this some, level? Some are small, like a few hundred, but some, you know, there's some shows, uh, they'll have a couple of thousand um, still, but you still don't get paid anything. Right. Basically, you're paying them to fight, right? So you'll right. sell, uh, sell $2,000 of tickets and you'll give them, you know, 1600 <laughs> right, right. So you're paying them sixteen hundred dollars to fight, and that's how a lot of them operate. And you'll go to the show, and, and that doesn't the fight start at say five thirty and finish at two in the morning. Oh wow! Because basically they sell it on the more fights they can get in if they pay people on ticket sales. Right. You now it's a bit of a scam, really. You're paying sixteen hundred dollars just to go and fight. Right. It's like a stand-up comic who has to fill the room in order to justify going up there, and he's asking all his friends to come, and they have to pay, you know, right. cover fare or what have you, or yeah, or a band that wants to play at the, you know, at the Roxy on Sunset Strip. You can you can you can rent that room and pay, and then you got to cover the cover the door. Cost right. Yeah. Exactly. So it, you know, it really doesn't pay very well. Um, and I was only doing it just to test myself occasionally, and it wasn't until I was turning thirty, and you know, I was watching The Ultimate Fighter and I thought, you know what, I can do that. I don't want to look back, uh, you know, because the UFC is the premier organization mm-hmm. uh, for mixed martial arts. I thought, I don't want to look back and say, I could have done that. So although mixed martial arts was never my primary focus and it was more about self-defense uh, and, and real street, you know, being able to fight in the street, no rules, uh, mixed martial arts was the closest thing. And I didn't want to look back and say, I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, all throughout this, my 12 years, 13 years now in the United States, I've been training you know, the Marines, the U.S. Navy SEALs, the DEA, U.S. Marshals, and those types of guys. So I was really interested in more like what really works as well as empty hand, you know, like gun disarms, nice disarms, stick, mm-hmm. you know, stick fighting and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of testing myself, you know, UFC was the only, the real, the best place that I could do it basically. So, so, uh, so you're coming, so while you're in America, just to be clear, you, you started, Training other people, you were training. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I, that was my income basically. Is training other. I got people. you. All yeah. right, and so at Civilians the same time, well. you're trying to develop your your career. Yeah, I wasn't um, definitely wasn't really planning on getting in the UFC, although you know I sort of stand in the shower sometimes and right. fighting out of the red corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it was just sort of a dream, really. But I didn't really think it was real. I didn't really pursue it. And then uh, when I was turning thirty, I thought, you know, I'm going to give it a, a shot for the uh, the Ultimate Fighter and. I got on that show and wasn't expected to win it, but I did. So you won, what happened? You won a big fight, right? And you got noticed or how did that come, come about? 
No, basically, I, uh, to get on the show, you can either go to the tryouts or you can send a video in. Uh, in my case, I'd gone and helped Joe Stevenson, who won another season. I think it was season three, maybe, uh, of The Ultimate Fighter, and he'd mm-hmm. won that season. And I'd gone and helped him train for a fight. And uh, he said in MMA, he'd never been caught, submitted in MMA training. He'd been submitted in jiu-jitsu training. Um, but uh, he said I was the only person who ever caught him in 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 MMA sparring. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they called him, he gave me a great recommendation. He said, look, you've got to have this guy on the show. And, and I'd recently won a, um, a belt at uh, Gladiator Challenge. Right. I had won it, you know, it's, but it's not a huge show. It's like a C-level show, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just won, and I'd won another fight before that because it was, it was just like 29, turning 30. I was like, I just felt like I was getting old somehow. Right. You know? Time and, to uh, do something. Yeah. And um, so it all kind of timed right for me and, Went to England, fought somebody, Shane Mills, who's now in the UFC, very good fighter. And I was fortunate to win that fight in 30 seconds, and that got me onto the British team. Gotcha. And then, you know, I kind of went from there. Right. And so, but you're still kind of coming into this show, The Ultimate Fighter. You know, it's not like you came in with an accumulation of all these high-profile wins, right? No, I mean, no You're a bit of an underdog there coming yeah, into the show. definitely. The guy that I fought, Shane Mills, um, according to all the British people, was expected to win the show. Um and I only took it to the ground, really, uh, for that fight and got a heel hook because I thought that the UK guys wouldn't have very good jiu-jitsu. Because when, when I left um, in 2000, there was only one black belt in the whole country in jiu-jitsu. And I just assumed that their jiu-jitsu wasn't very good. Um, and it worked out for me in that fight. But then as I trained with the British guys you know, during that season, I realized that their jiu-jitsu had really picked up a lot. So I guess I was kind of fortunate I was able to finish it quickly. Right. In, in that first fight. But... Um, yeah, it was uh, it was really good for me, and um, and so then so you're on the show, and you end up winning. You end up winning the show, right? I mean, essentially. Yeah, it was basically there was two weights. There was lightweight and welterweight. Mm-hmm. Ross Pearson won the lightweight division, um, and I fought Demarcus Johnson, also a good fighter, in uh, the welterweight division for the finale in uh, June of 2009, and. Uh, and, and won the show that got me the contract with the UFC right and how long did that go on for I mean you had cameras following you around in the it bathroom was, everywhere about, you went for yeah, <laughs> well, but the whole thing was about eight weeks I think I went to England I flew out there had a bit of jet lag and uh, like two days later I had to fight and then we had, then I had to because it was for the British team so mm-hmm. I, flew, I was living here but I flew out to the British team fought there and then came back we had to wait in a hotel for a week or so uh, waiting for the Americans to fight to get you know to choose their people in the show and then I think we were in the house about six weeks. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, what was that like to have cameras following you around all the time? And Yeah, the first week was quite strange. You know, in the, you'd be sitting on the toilet and there's a camera looking down at you. you know, <laughs> right. Kind of weird. Um, but they said, oh, no, don't worry, we're not looking at that stuff. You know? Right, of course. But uh, it still felt kind of weird. And then you'd wake up sometimes, there'd be a camera right in your face or you'd kind of go to sleep and there's a camera in your face. And was it that thing where they're trying to create controversy or pit you against other people or yeah, people it, playing it up to the camera? And- yeah, I think people were probably playing it up to the camera, but they never, you know, try to instigate anything or make us do anything. They did supply alcohol, you know, which I don't drink personally, but, um, you know, that probably it's got good, people riled you know, up. Get, yeah, get, get people to turn on each other. Right. Just get but they never, never like, try to make you say anything or do anything. Right. It was pretty organic. They just... Uh, you know, let, let it happen. And so how did that, how did that being on that show, you know, sort of change your life and 
where you were with fighting and what was going to happen yeah, it was, next. Yeah, it was pretty huge. So it was filmed in January, February, and then... This is 09, right? This is 09. Yeah. Filmed in January, February, 09, and then uh, it didn't start airing until a few weeks after that. So I knew that I'd made it to the finale, um, but most people didn't know that. But uh, So I set up a, my gym knowing that it would be good uh, publicity. Mm-hmm. So I still have that gym now. It's been about three and a half years now. That's uh, Lightning MMA down in Orange County. And, um, right. And if you could, <laughs> for the listener, you, we got to, we got to throw a picture of your car up on the website. Oh, he's yeah, got, he, <laughs> he's got the lightning Wilkesmobile. You got That's it right. covered in like a, a banner for your, uh, for your gym. It's yeah. You awesome. got to advertise, right? You're driving around. You may as well have a billboard on your car. I know. It's funny too. Today we have, um, we have all these vehicles, uh, in our driveway. There's a location shoot for, uh, some commercial or something like that going on at a house around the corner. Oh, okay. And they, they, they came to us and said, we need someplace to park our big semi truck or whatever. Right, right. We'll pay you 500 bucks. Can we just park some vehicles? There? I was like, no problem. Me. We don't have to do anything. Right. Yeah. But I was thinking, I was watching you pull into the driveway and there's huge semi, semi, you know, 18 wheeler in the driveway. And like, you're thinking you this podcast is a big deal. Yeah, no, We're like, Whoa, this is a big deal. I know. Well, actually it is. Cause we got all these guys here filming us today and working on the audio. Like this has just awesome. been me and the laptop trying to figure out garage band. And if this you listen to my, my last episode, with Tim Van Orden, I did it by Skype and I completely screwed up the audio. It sounds terrible. I did the best I could and I was like, I, right. I don't know what I'm doing, man. I need some, I need some professionals. Well, James is coming. I better get it. it I know, I gotta get it together. And now we have a whole team here. I feel like it's a real deal. So Yeah, it looks professional. Cool. Sounds professional. I know. I feel like I'm on I feel like I'm on the Ultimate Fighter reality show, right? That's now. right. Season, what would it be? Season twelve. It's like fifteen. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, cool. So you so you do the show, you get out. And yeah, and then so I set up the gym, gym set up. You know, and I was really lucky because uh, Joe Rogan asked me after the win. So I heard you've opened up a gym, you know, and then the website crashed because of so many hits. Um, that, so that guy that is amazing. There. I mean, his followers yeah. are the most passionate, hardcore. When I did his podcast, of all the things I did for my book, all the promotional kind of travel and blah, 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 or whatever, being on his podcast had absolutely the biggest impact, I think, on sort of my public profile or whatever. It was the same thing, like crash my website and my Twitter exploded and all that sort of stuff. I mean, he's building an army there. Definitely. A lot of people don't realize that he's actually really good at jujitsu as well. He's, he's very good. He got his, uh, and he's the commentator for the UFC. Yeah. Have you ever grappled with him or trained? No, I, I, quite a few years ago, I said I was going to go up to Eddie Bravo's and I would like to have trained with them, but I've never got around to it, but hopefully you got to get on it. You should be on a show, man. Yeah. I'll have to hit him up. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, I mean, you know him, right? But yeah. I can hit him up too. Yeah. Gotta make good. that happen. That'd be good. Get the word out about plant-based nutrition. Yeah. He was cool. I mean, he was very, when I did the show, he was much more open-minded about it um, than I thought he would be. Like I was worried because he does have that army. And if those people turn on you, you're in trouble, yeah. right? So. But he, he has a, he was saying he has a smoothie uh, every day, right? With like pineapple. And- well, that's kind of how it all happened, you know, because he was talking about his kale smoothies and all of that. And, and uh, he had, Rob Wolf was a guest on the show. Who's a big paleo guy. And Rob kind of said, you know what? You should ditch the the kale smoothie and you'd be better off with bacon (laughs) and eggs. And even Joe was like, and Joe's a big meat eater and, you know, believes in that. And that's his opinion. But even Joe was like, I don't know, man, you sure about that? Like, I feel pretty good after I drink this kale smoothie in the morning. Actually, nothing I've ever done my whole life makes me feel better in the morning. Like, I I, I don't know about. I actually tried his uh, recipe, but I didn't didn't like it too much. Oh, yeah. It was okay, but. 
pretty strong. Oh uh, well, yeah, it's yeah because he doesn't it, it's a lot of like, uh, like garlic and ginger and garlic. Yeah, and, quite a lot of ginger right. and garlic, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, ginger and garlic are very they're they're intense and and I, garlic is great for detox, but it's not something I would have all the time, right? You know. And yeah. your breath will smell for like two days if you put like three cloves of garlic in your Vitamix. Yeah, I usually add some garlic to my uh, homemade hummus that I make, make in the Vitamix. But uh, yeah, that was strong. I mean, it was okay. My wife couldn't even drink it, but right. I finished it. Yeah. Usually I don't care about the taste. I'm just, you know, just get everything in there that I want. But when you're dealing with a lot of garlic and ginger, it's that's a different beast. Right. So... So what kind of things do you, you know, what would be like a typical day in the life of food for you? I mean, that's uh, what people want. And a lot of people who are listening are like, they, they want to know like, what do I eat in the morning? And what do I have before I work out? And what do I have after I work out? Yeah. So I uh, usually, usually have oatmeal in the morning, uh, blueberries, mm-hmm. almond butter, um, sometimes a little bit of ste- stevia in it, you know, sweeten mm-hmm. it up. Uh, flaxseed. I usually do that for breakfast. Right. Ground flaxseed. For yep. people out there, yeah. If you eat yeah. the whole seed, you're, you'll just pass it right through; it won't Correct. absorb. So you got to grind them up. Either get ground flaxseed, or you you can grind them in the Vitamix. Yeah, I heard that some of the um, when they say flaxseed meal or whatever, sometimes they have pressed the oil out it and sell the oil, mm-hmm. and then sell you the what's left over is flaxseed. Oh, right, that so has no omega like, threes in it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm sure that's not the case with with, with uh, all of them, but I I just grind it myself in the Vitamix. Right. Um, it lasts in the fridge for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, maybe beans and rice I like with salsa and uh, avocado or something. Right. So you can see all the fat I'm having. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, I have that. I mean, it's so, people say, oh, it's so, com-, you know, oh, it's so tricky and complicated or expensive to be on a plant-based diet, but yeah. like some brown rice, some black beans, some salsa and a little avocado on it. Yeah. And, you know, a whole grain tortilla if you want to have a burrito or whatever, and you're you're good. So I'll make a bunch of brown rice and beans, you know, a big pot of each of them or whatever. And they're, they're, they're ready. So I can either eat cold or, or just heat it up and you're good to go. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually working on a, on a book as well. And I'm trying to come up with like a three week plan where people can cook on the, you know, cook, spend an hour or so on a Sunday and get as much as they can done for the week. Not everything, right. but you know, make some, I like, I like to eat uh, yams or sweet potatoes. I actually add almond butter to that. I do eat a lot of almond butter actually. Yeah. About it. That's One addictive. Of, um, you know, I'd get your quinoa cooked, to get your uh, brown rice cooked, get some beans cooked. You know, mm-hmm. I'll make some burgers out of um, uh, oatmeal, rice, and uh, maybe some kidney beans or something with some spices and throwing some hemp seed in there. Right. Um, in fact, I ate some of those on the way here today in the car, some leftover from yesterday. One of my favorites is actually a little bit higher fat. Uh, I love uh, the cashew curry that my mm-hmm. wife makes. It's on a bed of kale and quinoa. Mm-hmm. So maybe like cashews and... Uh, uh, tomatoes for the sauce and then you toast some cashews that go on the top so wait so you would would you blend the cashews and the vitamix and create like a butter out of it or yeah well, uh, my wife actually you could do that as well but my wife just buys the, the cashew butter and oh, okay. adds to it the tomatoes and then oh, buys some, has some right. separate cashews that are raw uh-huh. and toast them lightly um you know she does most of the cooking, so yeah, I have to get all the details from her. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she's doing it properly, uh, which she does most of the time, she uh, somehow sautés uh, some carrots and onions with the flavors the kale somehow. Mm-hmm. But if she's in a rush, she'll just if you pour all that sauce on it, tastes good anyway. Right. Um, you know, I do quite a bit of quinoa. Uh, I do some amaranth. 
mm-hmm. you know sometimes pop it you can kind of pop it like popcorn and, right. and eat that um you know i do a little bit of bread but not much i do the ezekiel bread only. right sprouted whole grain yeah but i don't i don't do a whole lot of wheat you know sometimes do a little bit of pasta but i would like a rice pasta mm-hmm. um and there's different rice like wild rice which is not actually a rice but it looks like rice um, black rice is good too mm-hmm. um it's nutrient dense um you know tempeh i do a tempeh stir fry sometimes lots of right. vegetables i do smoothies i usually put kale bok choy uh red cabbage which is a really good uh got a lot of antioxidants in it especially for the money um yeah all sorts of different stuff there's a lot more to choose from than there was when i used to eat chicken every day basically and, and right. turkey. that's basically all i used to eat but it's, like, what would you say to somebody who's who's who comes to you as an athlete and says, you know, what do I, what's the best thing that I can eat after a hard workout to maximize my recovery? Or what are the kind of things, maybe not specific meals or, or, or dishes, but you know, what are the things I want to bear in mind or what's more important? Yeah. I mean, I still subscribe to the sort of four to one carb protein ratio after workout, although I'm not convinced as much as I used to be that that's necessary. Uh, but I still do that. And that's basically the only time that I do, um, pretty much the only time that I'll do a, a plant-based protein powder. You know, mm-hmm. I've gone a lot more whole foods, you know, over the last two right. years. Um, but I'll usually do a protein and then I'll do uh, bananas and dates uh, and coconut water. Mm-hmm. So you want to replenish your glycogen stores. Correct. You want to eat foods that are high, that have a high antioxidant value yep. to combat the free radical damage induced by exercise stress. Yeah. You want to hydrate. Right, so water or coconut water. Yeah, right. and I, I usually throw some kale in. I throw kale in every smoothie, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, yeah, kale. It always starts with kale. Yeah, kale's like the base. So even the post workout, um, and I like the, the bananas and the dates and the coconut water because of their the relative high glucose uh, right. percentage compared mm-hmm. to some fruits which have got a lot more fructose. Uh, it's quite a high percentage of, of glucose in those fruits, so I'll, I'll do that as well. Um, you know, I'm probably not as much as as into it as if I was still fighting, I think I'd be yeah. a lot more scientific, like on the timing and the, um, you know, and exactly what I was consuming, but I, f- I feel really good on what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. you know, I don't really feel any change. Where do you, where do you come down on this, uh, this dialogue about soy? You know, there's a lot of confusing information out there. You've been reading all these peer reviewed studies. Have you, have you come across like anything conclusionary about, you know, some people are saying, Avoid the soy, the phytoestrogens, blah blah blah. The non-fermented versions are bad for you. Other people are saying it's really not a problem. Yeah, well, you hear sort of like half truths. You know, people. Someone at my gym the other day said, "You can't eat soy because it's it's got estrogens in it." Well, it does have estrogens in it, but they're phytoestrogens. Phytoestrogens. Yeah, they have phytoestrogens, which basically means plant estrogens, and so they don't act quite on your body quite in the same way. Um, in in most cases, it's got protective effects. You know, and. Um, I don't think you want to have too much of it from based on what I've read, not too many servings, but mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, a couple of servings a day is, is fine in terms of, um, you actually prevent helping prevent cancer. And, uh, it actually, you know, the estrogen receptors take in the phytoestrogens and actually block some of the estrogen from natural estrogen from coming in. So right. it's not That's like essentially to, what Juliana Hever was saying. Right. So you're not, you're not, um, you're not going to turn into a woman if you're a man for a reason. <laughs> yeah. God forbid. Right. So then the paleos would really have something to say. Right. So, you know, I think, uh, it's unwarranted, you know, to 
remove it from your diet personally i think it's it's fine to have it in moderation from from what i've read yeah i mean my kind of general rule of thumb on the whole thing is uh i do have i do have soy but i don't ever do it you know i don't drink soy milk i'd rather have almond milk or coconut milk um and when i do have soy products i generally opt for the fermented version right, the non-gmo better. like yeah. tempeh you were saying or miso yeah. as opposed to just you know the tofu variety and that's not to say i don't yeah. have tofu from yeah, time to time i just don't go nuts with it yeah i tend not to have it at home because you know in a pinch when you if you you're out somewhere you know it's that the only what they have they don't have right. tempeh so i'll leave the the, the tofu generally to, to when I'm out and then at home occasionally have some tempeh. It changes the amino acid profile when it ferments and it's a little bit better for you. Right. Um, obviously you can have whole soybeans as well. But um, yeah, I prefer the tempeh over, over the tofu for sure, nutritionally. Yeah. I had uh, this guy, Tim Van Orden, on the show the other day who's a very accomplished runner and is doing it on a raw vegan diet. And he was a very interesting guy. And he was explaining to me something about protein uptake that I actually didn't know. And I thought was pretty interesting. I'm interested to know whether you've heard of this or have any familiarity with it, but he was basically saying that rather than sort of shocking your system with a bunch of protein right after you train or taking these protein supplements and these protein powders that where you're literally like carpet bombing your intestine with protein, uh, you're better off letting it trickle in through a variety of foods throughout the day because when you take in a, you know, a massive amount of complete protein, there are certain amino acids when it gets broken down that are more dominant than others when they it compete, comes to yeah. clogging up the, the sort of pathways to your, you know, the receptors for it or what have you. So yeah. the other amino acids that aren't as dominant, but are equally important in terms of rebuilding muscle get sort of pushed aside and are not absorbed or utilized in the way that they should be. Right. So you're actually undermining your body's ability to repair its muscle by taking in massive amounts of proteins post-exercise, or I guess at any time. Yeah. I mean, to counter that, obviously there's the insulin spike from uh, the glucose and then there's that window, which you know, supposedly helps shuttle the protein to the muscles mm-hmm. post-workout. But like I said, I'm not as convinced as I used to be because having looked at the studies, the studies are, n- are not very well uh, formed. And so basically, you know, they'll have someone um, do an intense workout for 20 minutes, run for 75 minutes until complete exhaustion, but they didn't eat since the night before. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, no wonder the carbohydrates you know, help a lot right afterwards and make them feel better and help right. the protein because they didn't eat. <laughs> right. They hadn't eaten for like f- 14 to 16 hours before. Or something. Uh-huh. So I think there's more studies that need to be done. Um, I mean, it works for me now. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to change things when it's working well and you, f- you feel good, but um, it definitely might be something to do that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to start reading a little bit more about that. I'd like to understand that a little bit better. Um, but but uh, yeah, I think it's worth considering and playing around with. I'm going to experiment myself and yeah. see how my body responds to that. And there's, there's so much in nutrition to look at that I'm still learning all the time. Oh, of course. I mean, there's no, there's no end. There's no end. And, you know, if everybody had it figured out, there wouldn't be these debates and all of this. So, right. you know, there's plenty of work to be done, I think, to get to the bottom of all of this. Uh, where, do you, where do you, I mean, is this really 
specifically a health thing for you or do you have, uh, you know, ethical sort of arguments that play into this or, uh, sustainability arguments, ecologically friendly arguments. Yes. I mean, where do you fall in, in, in that whole kind of spectrum of dialogue? So I started from really an athletic performance point of view when I started looking into it due to my injury and sort of coinciding that was health, you know, because I was like 32 maybe. Yeah, 32. We and haven't even thought, talked about the injury yet, so let's make sure we get back to oh, that. Yeah, I sure. want to hear about that. But um, well, there was a, there was an injury that led me to um, research, and I thought I was going back, and there was another injury that um, stopped me from fighting. But um, where was I at? So, so uh, uh, ethical arguments. Yeah. So basically, yeah. you know, start from athletic performance, move to you know, and as well as health is you know, since I was over thirty, I was like when I was in my twenties, I had no care at all. Mm-hmm. really about any long-term health but um of course not you gotta you know you gotta think ahead you don't want to wait until it's bad you know you go to all these seminars all these doctors talking about health and it's always like 50 plus and they're overweight or obese or, you know <laughs> i think that's not a good time to start <laughs> yeah. you know how about starting it planning it a little bit earlier uh-huh. um so health was definitely a factor and then i started looking at you know when i wanted to look at the processing of chickens um, for them dipped in chlorine. I started looking at that, and you start seeing how they're processed. And so it definitely became uh, an ethical thing as well. So for me, then you start learning about, you know, how it takes uh, 20 calories into a chicken to get one calorie out, and it's a waste mm-hmm. of resources. Um, and you just start thinking more about things other than yourself. And, you know, whether it's the, the health aspect, the athletic performance, um, the environment, you know, people probably, and maybe they don't know, but um, according to the 2007 United Nations uh, report called Livestock's Long Shadow, um, the methane uh, from cows was the number one uh, cause Contributor of global, to, global right. warming. Green, greenhouse gases, uh, right. Yeah, at 18% versus uh, 14% for transportation. Um, so, you know, you're damaging the environment by eating that. In fact, um, Lauren Cordain said in his book, um, Lauren Cordain, who's the, the, he's the, the main paleo guy, right? Right. He's yeah. Started, it, started it off pretty much and coined the term, uh, for the diet. He said that basically if everyone ate this way, <clears throat> you, it would only work, uh, you'd only be able to sustain about, uh, one tenth of the planet. If everybody ate a plant-based diet. <clears throat> no, sorry. If everyone, if everyone ate, um, if everyone ate paleo. Oh, if everyone ate paleo because there's not enough grasslands to support all the cattle and the whatever. Right. And so basically if you want to follow the paleo diet you'd have to, and you want the, the world to follow the paleo diet, you've got to pick nine of your friends and family that you would, uh, like to see <laughs> fall by the wayside. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's the best diet to follow. Yeah. Um, you know, so in terms of there are, you know, I think there's been some people who have taken that on a little bit, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've I seen understand. the counters to it, you know, and then I've seen the counters to the counters. Right. So there's some, you know, like, uh, but essentially the idea is, is that if you wanted to provide enough grassland so that this cattle is not grain fed and, yeah. and be able to serve people that, you know, that quality of meat, it would right. take more land than we have available right. and, and so, more water. And right. And so, so one counter argument to, uh, to the meat is that, well, you know, you have to transport the grains and uh, that takes fuel and then you ship away the manure or whatever from the, you know, where they're feeding. <clears throat> and so paleo people would say, well, you know, we would put them on the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually that there's more methane uh, produced from grass-eating cows than there is from grain-eating cows. 
And mm. so you actually, it actually um, looks like it outweighs the benefits from eating the grass eating in the terms gra- of the environment. Eating the grass makes you fart more, more. potently and yeah. more. <laughs> so it actually damages. And right. for those that don't know, methane is a, a 20 to 30 times stronger greenhouse gas than is carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So you're producing more pollution actually by going grass fed. And then, you know, people like to think that the cows are just an naturally eating the grass that's just been sitting there forever but that's not true i mean there's um there's some good videos on in youtube actually i don't recall them but if you if you have a look there you'll find some counters to the argument in that you're clearing away massive natural habitats to to plant a grassland rather mm-hmm. than they're not just eating natural grassland that was previously existing right you're cleaning away forest areas and uh, really destroying biodiversity yeah you'd have to create you'd have to create grasslands that don't exist right now out of something or right. somewhere. Yeah, you're destroying those habitats. But so much of our grain production goes towards livestock that, I mean, could that be turned into grasslands? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a farmer, but. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the bottom line is no system's 100% efficient. So if you think you can put the same calories into an animal and get the same calories out, then you don't understand right. <laughs> how, how things work. I mean, basically, you're going to be, you've got, there's going to be an efficiency there. So, and, and literally in, in some cases we're taking grains away from um, the countries in which the children are starving to death. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely an issue for me. I mean, I think you've got some sort of obligation to um, help others, you know? So if you were in a park and there was a child that uh, fell in the, in the pond and was drowning, there's some sort of moral obligation to go and save that child. So the fact that that child is living in a different country doesn't change the moral obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just less visible. And so, you know, by eating a steak, or let's say you eat chicken, and, you know, different reports will say different things, how many calories or how many pounds of food. But let's say 20 calories into a chicken to get one calorie out. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like eating a plate of, of chicken and there's 20 starving children around the you right and, and to be clear to when you say 20 calories in for one calorie out you're talking about all this sort of calories that go into producing that chicken all the you yeah. know and, and all the fossil fuels that have to be burned well, for that transport in addition, and but all I think that kind just of thing. the food alone from what i've seen is about 20 calories in to get one calorie out. right right because that chicken's got to grow and it's wasting energy and and so forth but as well as all the fossil fuels and um transportation and all this sort of thing adding an extra step of taking those nutrients from the original plants and then basically the, the animal's body is basically just carrying those nutrients for a while and then giving them to you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there's inefficiency. So basically if I think there's some sort of moral obligation to not take food away from starving children, basically. Right. Um, so, it, you know, I think there's some really good arguments. There's the health argument, there's athletic performance argument, there's the environmental argument, there's the starving children argument. So even if you're not fully convinced by one of those arguments alone, if you can combine all the arguments together, it's, a, it's an extremely strong uh, argument overall. Uh, it's basically multi, multifaceted. So you, if you combine all of those, it's a very strong argument to be a plant-based diet. I, right. I don't see... I think we should... Re, you know, I shouldn't really be uh, uh, discussing with people why would you eat it. I think the real question is why would you not be eating a plant-based diet? Right, and I think it's picking up steam, and people are are starting to understand it better, and and you know you're seeing a real movement happening here. But we're still at the very early stages of sure. it. I mean, when you say that, it's I understand what you're saying, but you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the people are not there right. yet, and this is still you know very scary and and very fringe and and all of that kind of thing. Uh, so, 
you know, there's a long road ahead to, to walk. And, you know, what are the things that you, you know, would say could help people feel more comfortable about this or help put their doubts to rest? I mean, you've, you've made this compelling argument. I don't know if there's anything else that, that could be said really, but what do you think people's barriers are other than they like meat and they just, they're not ready to let, let it go? Yeah, I think there's, a, there's quite a few reasons. Um, one is that personal and social identity, especially for men. I think that's an issue. I think that uh, our tastes, you know, we're, we're driven to, uh, our brain responds us for eating high fat, high sugar, high salt foods. Um, and then there's convenience. You know, it's, it's certainly not as convenient, especially if you had to go and eat out. You've got to plan it a little bit. Right. Like when I was in New Orleans last week for a week and, uh, you know, I go on online first of all and look to see what, you know, I, well, one thing I go and find like a good local market so I can buy some food. Um, rather than just eating out. But, you know, I also looked out to see what options there, there were available. So it does take a little bit more planning. But like anything right. else, I don't base my life on convenience. You know, I didn't travel to America to train with the Navy SEAL trainer um, because it was the most convenient, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't go and lift weights right over the wor- road every day at 24-hour fitness just because it's a quarter of a mile from my house. You know, so if you're one of those types of people that bases your life on what's the easiest for me and what's the most convenient, then... Yeah, it's probably not. It's probably not the diet for you right now. But if mm-hmm. you're interested in eating as healthy as possible, eating the diet that's best for the planet, eating the diet that's best for you know starving people in the world, and uh, and if, if convenience isn't the number one factor for you, then then I would say this is the definitely the way to go for you. You know, but right. it's not everyone's like that. People want the easiest thing. So there's there's many factors. They want convenience. There's identity. So it is difficult to uh, overcome all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's a, speak to the identity thing. You know, I think that, that, uh, that's what makes you such a powerful ambassador because you do come from the MMA world. You come from this world of fighting. You're, you're obviously a very masculine specimen or whatever. <laughs> and no, it's, listen, it's a, it's a, you know, like I'm just a runner, you know, I'm a triathlete or whatever that, that, that carries a certain amount of, of weight in certain circles, but it's, right. it's very different from, from what you do because what you do is so heavily associated with masculinity and, and uh, you know, gender and all of that. Um, and so it's powerful because it is, it is stereotype busting in many ways. And Yeah, I th- well, I think, you know, as these athletes, you know, like you said, Mike Danzig, Jake Shields, Aaron Simpson, the Diaz brothers and guys like that, you know, as they're doing it, that's helping change the perception. Um, and in terms of the ethical thing or, or caring about the children or the, oh, I didn't even mention the, the pain and suffering to the animals. <laughs> I, forgot about, I forgot about that one. But, you know, there's, a, there's a, that's another reason. Um, but uh, in terms of all those things, I think, you know, one of the things about uh, masculinity is that they see kindness as weakness, you know, which it's not. You know, I think there's a common misperception there. But I think that's changing as well. I mean, society's changing, you know. Is it? You think so? I think so. I mean, I think uh, 50 years ago, or even to this day, maybe, pe- you know, dads don't like to say I love you to their kids right. or something. Yeah, I got but you. that's definitely mm-hmm. changing, mm-hmm. you know, seeing um, that you can be, you can definitely be kind. And also, um, you know, be very strong and tough and so forth. Have you seen that, uh, the ad that uh, Patrick Baboumian's in? No, I haven't. Where he talks about, you know, being strong and yet being caring. It's pretty good. It's only like 30 seconds long. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. I'll put it in the show notes for, is it on YouTube? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, It's actually from Germany, um, but it's in English. Okay. So, um, yeah, you can, you know, it's quite clear you can be kind and caring. And some of the, the toughest guys I know 
are, are very kind and caring. But I think those that aren't really tough, you know, they don't want to be seen as being kind or caring because people might perceive them as being weak. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm certainly not immersed in the UFC world, uh, but I know a couple fighters and, you know, I've spent time with you and I've spent time with Mac and I've met a couple other guys and, and you guys are so different than what I would have expected. You know, right. the, the fighters that I know are the nicest, calmest guys. And, you know, they're not the guys that are walking around, you know, with their affliction t-shirts on or their right. tap out t-shirts on and their hat pulled down low, looking like they're ready to fight at any given yeah. moment. And I can't remember who, who it was who said this. I think it was Jamie Kelstein. He's like, the guy that you should be scared of is not the guy in the tap out shirt who's walking around, you know, just, you can tell he's looking for a fight. Right. It's the guy in the hoodie in the corner pulled up, who's like reading a book quietly to himself and not bugging anybody. That's, that's the killer. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. you guys get it out of your system and you, you work it out in your training and in, and in your fighting, but in your daily life, I mean, you guys are some of the most pleasant, affable people I've ever met. Right. I mean, I think you've got, you don't have, as much to prove whereas guys that haven't fought they're not even sure of themselves you know so they uh you know they want to look tough and appear tough to you know their peers and and women and that sort of thing um but there's really no need for that when you know you know who you are you've got a, mm-hmm. a self-identity you know you're confident you don't need to threaten people. Certainly. Yeah. Tough, when you're or, doing that you know what you're capable of and there's a responsibility with that too I think. Right. Definitely. So, so, um, and, that, and that's that's the big part. And, and originally, with the, the documentary, um, the, the provisional title right now is "The Game Changers," um, and you know it's featuring guys like you and Patrick and myself. Um, but the that was the thing originally is I just wanted to talk about protein and how you didn't need protein, and then I realized right. that, that uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, my, and my friend Joseph Pace, who's helped me from Canada. You know, help me realize that as well. There's a lot more than just whether you need protein or not, because you can tell someone actually you can get protein from. That would be a very short, boring documentary. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you, you can get protein. That'd be like yeah. two, like a minute. <laughs> yeah, there you, you go. Know? But um, you know, I think it's not enough. There's been some great documentaries, but you know, for example, Forks Over Knives is really good. But it's not enough just to tell people the science behind it. But that's why I think it's good to showcase mm-hmm. some of these these people that are. Uh, very athletic, very strong, confident, powerful, um, but they're also, you know, eating this way. So, you know, for whatever their motivation, whether it be ethical or health reasons, we can still demonstrate that, you know, it's definitely possible. Right. And so where are you with the documentary? I want to, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Um, well, we're still, like I said, we're still, um, we're just starting at the moment to get some, uh, you know, just regular guys that, uh, that want to try it. And, um, and follow their story a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we've talked to a lot. We've done a lot of interviews. You know, but I started this documentary not knowing anything about documentary making. You know, yeah, when I bought a camera. You're going to get a lot of. I think you're going to start getting a lot of messages after this podcast goes up of people who are going to volunteer to be yeah, that guy. Definitely. <laughs> We're actually still looking for some people. So you know, anyone that's interested in whether they're you know whether it's a similar story to you, maybe they're 40 years old and uh, you know looking to get back into shape and you know maybe not doing anything right now. Maybe they'd like to, you know, try a little triathlon eventually in a few months. Or, mm-hmm. But, but I would imagine you want somebody who's, who's never done anything like this before, who kind of has a right. lot to, you know, is it kind of in on the worser side of things at the well, moment? Well, we're looking for a couple of different people, you know, we're looking for people that have been, say they're lifting weights and they, you know, they're eating a regular standard American diet and, 
you know, they're not really getting any good numbers or, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking for that type of guy, you know, that like Patrick could come and help and give a few tips right. to and tell him what he eats. And then maybe a regular guy that's really not doing much and is on you know, cholesterol medication. So we're looking right, for I was a say, What about guys. a guy who's on all kinds of medications from antidepressants to yeah. statins and all that kind we're of thing? We're looking for, you know, you know, different variety of people so that we can show a variety of things. Like, for example, if we just did, say, a runner who then went plant-based and he did a little bit better at running, people might expect that the endurance guys could do it. We'd still like to show that. Um, But at the same time, we'd like to see someone, you know, try the plant-based diet and get much stronger. Um, You know, if they want to go and compete in a powerlifting tournament or, you know, whatever the case may be, we're just Mm -hmm. kind of, we're letting it be organic. um, So we're not sort of setting anything up. So it's fake. We want it to be authentic. And, uh, you know, so so if there is anybody out there that's interested in uh, being in the documentary, you know, we want to do it right. That's why we haven't rushed it. And, right. uh, and also, it took me a while. You know, I went and bought a camera and some lights and sound equipment. Yeah. Trying to do everything myself. I think I was one of your early interviews, too. Yeah, you yeah, were you, still, uh, you should get out. We should, Maybe we need to retape we that. Re- <laughs> <laughs> Yours is the worst one. Oh, no. You go watch it. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, no, gotta, well, let's do it again, man. What you said was good. It just, um, the camera work wasn't so good. Okay. But anyway, um, you know, I've got other people on board now helping me out. Ryan Vance, who's... Uh, uh, a filmmaker that studied at London Film School. He's up here That's in LA. Great. And Joseph Pace helped me with mm-hmm. uh, writing it all out. But um, Joseph's great. Yeah. And uh, so basically, you know, we're, we're definitely looking for people. And, mm-hmm. and it just takes a lot longer than, you know, again, once we've got lo- hours and hours of footage, um, following one of my students who, uh, you know, was really overweight, he, he switched uh, first two weeks, he lost 14 pounds. Wow. You know, um, but that's not his goal to lose weight. It's just like, you right. know, if you eat healthy and uh, eat the right foods, the, the weight loss will, uh, the fat loss. Right. The way, yeah. The, the weight loss really should be a byproduct of this lifestyle alteration as opposed right. to an end game or a yeah. goal, because it isn't a diet. It's about changing your perspective on food Correct. and how you live your life. And if you're walking that path and, and making these changes that hopefully have staying power permanently, right. uh, the weight will come off and it's, it becomes a non-issue. It's not about that. It's not a weight loss focused oriented situation. Right. You shouldn't really be focused on the fat loss, although obviously that's a, a great benefit. But that's where people are at. Most people are, that's where they're at. That's what they want. That's what yeah, they're well, focused great. on. If they do that, then you know, it will work for them too. Right. But they're also going to get, you know, all the other benefits of the health. Mm-hmm. And, and if they want to be athletic, the athletic performance benefits I feel as well. Even if they're small for some people, I still think they they will exist. Um, That actually brings up for me, you know, what's the best way to go about it? Because I think there's two ways. You can either jump into it or you can take it gradually. And I think there's benefits uh, to to either way. Mm -hmm. And I think some people will benefit. Um, The book that I'm working on, um, originally entitled The Black Belt Diet, is basically gives you two options. Nice, I like that. Yeah, so you can basically, you know, it it sort of parallels my... um, search for combat for the search and nutrition like i said before but also it gives you the option of going straight to being a black belt if you want to once you've read the book you know and you can follow a plan or you can work your way up up, up the belts so mm-hmm. you could go white belt and oh yeah that's, you know, blue like belt, that. belt, belt, and then uh-huh. in that way you know you can you can gradually do it i think the, the benefit of going straight to it is that you will notice and feel different right away within within a week or two you're right. going to feel better but some people can't make that that quick yeah, jump. I think yeah. the decision of, of either or in that regard is a personality thing as much as anything Definitely. else. I yeah. mean, for me, like I couldn't have done the gradual thing. I just wouldn't have been able, right. I had, I had to just jump in and do it completely. But I also recognize that not everyone 
operates like that. Like right. my wife doesn't operate like that. She would, you know, she's a gradual person and sure. a lot of people are. And I think they need to feel like that's okay because there is this idea when it comes to, you know, using the word vegan or plant-based diet that it's perfect or it's nothing. Right. And that's discouraging for people because they just think there's no way I can do it. It's too hard. And then they abandon it. Whereas a gradual process would, you know, conceivably work really well for those people. Right. And, um, and so that's why I wanted to also give these steps, um, you know, whereas you are incorporating more of the healthy plant-based foods. I don't want to think of it as just giving up certain foods, but more incorporating, to, moving towards a better diet rather mm-hmm. than giving up things that you're used to. But as you work up your belts, you're incorporating more of the healthy plant foods, getting rid of the, the unhealthy animal foods, not just unhealthy animal foods, but also processed foods, refined foods, stuff like that, mm-hmm. working towards that black belt. So that's uh, kind of what I've been I like that. Wait, so where are you with, uh, how far along are you with the book? Um, most of it's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, no, it's been, completely uh, written, just not on paper yet. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it's harder than you think actually. And, and what's annoying. Oh, I know. No. <laughs> what's annoying for me is how long it takes to write, you know, I've been writing a, sm- a few articles recently. Uh, I just did one for on blood flow. Um, from regarding plant-based diet for Vegan Health and Fitness magazine, mm-hmm. which comes out in that that, uh, that one's out in March, and I've just been doing one on toxins. But I, I can literally write the information in twenty minutes, but it takes me <clears throat> about ten hours for the article to to go and find all the sources to oh, to, right. to verify that right. um, they're all com- completely correct, mm-hmm. you know, and, and offer evidence. Uh, unfortunately, the one I just wrote for Fight magazine. Um, they said that uh, they weren't going to include all my references, which I didn't really like right. uh, because I, I don't want people to just think it's just, it's just my vague opinion, but rather it's justified and backed up by uh, scientific evidence. Well, they could at least put a link to your website yeah, saying, or a, a, spe- a specific page on your site so they're just one hyperlink and then they can go there and you yeah. can have them all there. Yeah, exactly. So I, I need to talk to them about it before I um, uh, make sure it's uh, before it's released because I want to. Uh, I definitely want the uh, citations to be covered in there. Right. So I worked on the book and uh, the documentary simultaneously, but that's great. The book, man. as you probably know, takes a long time to. It does, uh, man. And you know, how long did it take to write your book? Uh, well, it's not like I didn't know the story, you know. Right. <laughs> but it's not just knowing. Uh, it. No, it was. Yeah, it was a lot of work, and I, I, I did it the very traditional route where I, you know, I got an agent and then I did a proposal, and I spent a lot of time working on the proposal, like three or four months. Um, and that was the equivalent of like writing a business plan. And right. I had to write the first two chapters uh, and you lay out the whole marketing. It's like a whole thing. Right? right. And I, and I realized that that had to be completely pitch perfect and I had to thread the needle or there, w- there wasn't going to be a book be unless a book, I was right. going to self publish. So that ended up working out. And then after that, it was probably a year and a half um, yeah. of writing. So yeah, it's not a small thing. And then I remember, I, I think I've told this joke on the podcast before, but I remember when it was all done and I turned it in or, or I got the, um, the galley copies finally. Uh, and it was only like, you know, this thick, like a, not even maybe an inch or whatever. And I was like right. a year and a half and it's only like, it's so small. Right. Like I feel like it should be this you should huge. Should have hit them up and say, hey, can't we make the type size a little bit bigger? Know, so yeah. like, no, font 16 exactly. instead of font 10. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you know, any help that I can offer you uh i learned a lot i learned a lot about publishing and and that whole world so you know anything i can do to help you out man i'd love to see your your message get out there as as best it can obviously i do or i wouldn't have you sitting here right now so yeah i appreciate having me on for sure 
Well, good, man. I think we kind of we kind of did it. Yeah. How do you feel? Stuff. Yeah, I feel you good. Feel? It, was, it was great coming up here. Nice seeing you again. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing it. Um, if you want to uh, find out <clears throat> more about James, um, you can find him on Twitter at Lightning Wilkes. And you have your website, yeah. which is James Lightning Wilkes, right? Yeah, they're not, they're not very active, the best actually. Place? And, yeah, you're not, uh, my, you're not my Twitter's not active at all recently. I follow you, but you never tweet. So, thing, like, yeah. where are you hanging out? Yeah, if I'm people want to, like... Tweeter. I hide my out. tweets and no one can see them, <laughs> which kind of defeats What's the those. point of that? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I don't no, understand I people that, like, lock their Twitter accounts. Either do it or don't do it. I just don't tweet. No, the best place, really, for... Uh, information at the moment for the plant-based stuff uh, for us is, you know, we have the company called Plant Athlete and mm-hmm. the best place right now uh, is to go on Facebook, right. facebook.com forward slash plant athlete. Plant athlete. And yeah, the so website that, is plantathlete.com, yeah, right? But the best place right now, yeah, that, yeah, it is as well. And you can subscribe to the blog there. But again, that's um, with, with writing the book and the uh, documentary, we haven't put as much time in, but the, the, uh, the Facebook page, um, we try and put stuff on every day or so right. about plant-based athletes, maybe some diet tips and and things like that. So that's a, that's a good place to go. All right, that's good. And uh, if you're sitting at home listening to this, thinking I want to be in James's documentary and I'm a perfect candidate, correct? Please don't email me. <laughs> email James. Yeah. Uh, where is there a contact form on your website where they where they yeah, can reach out on, to you, uh, or how would James they do that? com. They can go through there, or okay. just hit us up on Facebook. Either way, yeah, it won't, it won't be a problem to get a hold of me. It's pretty yeah, easy. your your personal website is jameslightningwilks.com. Correct. Wilks is W I L K S. Yeah. That's right. a good point. Yeah. I sometimes tell people there's no E and then they take the E out of James. Right. Like there's James Wilkes, <laughs> no E. And they're like, oh, okay, J-A-M-S-W-I-L-K-E-S. Welcome to America. Yeah, there we go. This would not happen well, you know, in You know, before I came to America, my only real experience other than like the movies, which I knew weren't real, was Jerry Springer, you uh-huh. know? And I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to. <laughs> it is. And <laughs> the here, land of Jerry and here, Springer. And here you are. Yeah. You are in the world of Jerry Springer, That's right? right. Yeah. You know, you're the one who was on a reality show. I know. You should know more than most people. Yeah. Right? All right, good, man. I think we did it. Cool. Cool. Uh, so uh, that's it. Thank you so much for joining the show, man. You're great. And uh, I think people are going to dig your message. So check him out. Um, we never finished the Jai Lifestyle ad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're that. there. B12. Yeah, Chai repair, do, uh, plant-based protein. I'm <laughs> we have a cookbook. To it out. Yeah, we, we have a cookbook, EE cookbook, um, 77 pages of recipes that uh, my wife and I perfected, which, which when I say that, I mean 99% my wife. wife right. <laughs> Same with me. But uh, recipes that our kids love, so it's very family-friendly, and a lot of stuff that I train on, a lot of Vitamix smoothies and blends, pre-workout, post-workout, and the like. It's only nine bucks, downloadable. PDF. Julie's got a meditation program called Jai Release, which is uh, super effective. I can testify to personally. And we have some uh, more stuff coming up soon. We're working on a detox cleanse video series that we're nice. getting ready to shoot, which is going to be pretty cool. So I'm excited about that. Uh, James, are you doing any public speaking coming up? Is there if somebody's uh, the only, be the only bigger one uh, coming up is in May, and that's at the Healthy You Network in Arizona. That'll be alongside uh, Dr. Campbell, Dr. Decon Campbell, and Dr. Esselstyn. So that's the next big one. Good, that's cool. Yeah. So nice. uh, healthyunetwork.org. Go check that out. Uh huh. I've got a couple coming up in March and February, uh, but I don't have the dates with me right now. So on the next episode, I'll, I'll let you guys know about that. And uh, I think that's it, man. Nice. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much. All right. It was fun.
Peace. Plants. Yeah.